Radio. The Dignity and Worth of the Human Person A talk by Archbishop Julian Porteous um, So I said, the, the first um, session this morning really was just uh, setting the scene or just enabling us to uh, pause and reflect and uh, maybe the questions might have been quite particular. I'm hoping too in the second session too that there might be be a bit of material, but there may be one area that particularly grabs you or uh, gets your um, gets your thinking. So feel free to uh, if something really uh, is is of significance to you to to uh, dwell on that. So don't feel you've got to sort of cover everything. Um, and I said the second session I will leave you with a couple of little quotes, which will be hopefully the source of then reflecting in the groups, and then we'll have, as Claire said. We'll come back and get some common feedback. Um, one of the, one of the uh, things I'm very conscious of, <clears throat> and it's a link, if you like, between myself and yourselves, is that we are in the people business. Um, so we're not uh, economists. There are a couple here <laughs> who are working in, in that area, but before you were a nurse, so you were in the people business then. Uh, <clears throat> but basically we are in the people business uh, rather than in economics or uh, architecture or, uh, or whatever. So our interest is people. Um, certainly that's my interest and my orientation uh, as well. Uh, <clears throat> So I'm sure most of you in your preparation for the work that you were doing studied psychology, studied sociology, um, in order to have a clearer understanding of um, the human person and, and indeed social interaction and how um, societies work and, and so on. So it's something that's it's really part of the way you see things and see reality in the way that you're engaged in, in your normal work setting. Particularly if you're working in counselling, um, you're, um, you're wanting, if, in, in one sense, to assist people or even your own work with them to go deeper to try to understand motivations or circumstances, background um, that have led them to the place where they are today and maybe the particular issues or challenges they are facing. So we naturally uh, want to delve into the inner life, if you like, of the person. We're, we're trying to, in one way or another, uh, understand what is happening and then often we use various techniques or methods or things we've learnt to how we can assist a person in dealing with a particular issue or challenge that they may have in life. So we are actually working with people at that inner level rather than, than the exterior level, unless we're just putting a house over their head, which we are also doing as well. But um, for most of us, it is this working with people. And, and so we're, I think we're nat that's naturally very conscious of each individual as being a unique individual, the result of all sorts of uh, life experiences, sometimes ones that have been very, very detrimental, um, life experiences that perhaps in some way have limited their emotion, emotional capacity, their intellectual capacity. Um, we're, we're also conscious that they may struggle in particular areas, there may be some form of addiction or something like that, something that is really debilitating for their life and so we're trying to find how can we assist this person uh, in, in overcoming these particular areas. What we're also conscious of is that um, 
as uh, the poet John Donne said, that no man is an island. He says, uh, no man is an island entire of itself. Every man is a piece of a continent, a piece of the main. So, you know, we're also aware that psychology, which goes into the inner life of the person, is also has its complement in sociology, which looks at the social interactions of people. And we're also aware that social interactions are, are vital. And we, and we know that as human beings, while we have our own interior life, we, we are engaged in relationships, a multiplicity of relationships that have all sorts of different standings and significance for our life. So we, we have the very close family relationships. They uh, feel like our family is a given. Um, what we have is what, what, what we've got, <laughs> the kind of thing with our family. Um, and and we, we live within that with its strengths and, and at times its, its difficulties and challenges. We also have that network of colleagues or friends, um, often more chosen, um, and, and we sometimes build very close relationships with various individuals who, um, who are very important to our life and, and who are a significant influence on us. So um, we, we, we have um, those two dimensions, that interior life, which isn't, isn't just solely within ourselves, but it's also impacted by the nature of the relationships around us and the, indeed the history of relationships that we've had in our lives. I find, and I suppose one thing I was thinking of today, when, when we just pause for a moment and think about each individual human person, uh, ourselves, but others here in this room and others who we involve, are involved with, we have to say that human beings are firstly extraordinary and wonderful. Um, we know that human beings are capable of most amazing things, that human beings uh, can be heroic, can be self-sacrificing, can do just things that are absolutely astounding. And we, we admire people who have achieved great things, who have made enormous contributions. We recognise people whose lives have, have uh, deeply impacted so many people for the good. So we're aware that people have this enormous capacity for good, for contribution, for advancing the well-being of society. Uh, but we also know that human beings are flawed. Um, all of us are flawed. I, I put my hand up first <laughs> to say I'm a flawed human being. Uh, and we all know that we have our flaws, our weaknesses, our shortcomings. We all know we make mistakes, we misread things, we do something or say something which afterwards we thought, whoops, <laughs> shouldn't have said that, shouldn't have done that. You know, we, we know we, we do make mistakes and at times we find all sorts of discordant things happening within us <coughs> Um, so we're this uh, extraordinary reality, the human person, capable of such greatness and such extraordinary capacity to do good, but also we know our flaws, our weaknesses, our, our shortcomings, our, and at times our great fragility as, as human beings. So we're looking at this question of the, of the human person. I want to explore that uh, a little bit with you now, just to, if you like, look at the human person, a little bit. Very, it's very simple. I hope it's not, it's not meant to be too heavily philosophical. I mentioned the odd philosopher, but very quickly I'll pass, pass on. I won't, it's not going to be that. But 
I'm hoping it might be a journey uh, for each of us just to pause and reflect on our nature and indeed the nature of being a human person today that we might, if you like, get, get more in touch with that dimension of ourselves. So I'm going to do it very, very simply. I'm going to look at various components, if you like, of the human person. Now, the first thing we can look at is the body. Um, and our bodies are largely reflecting who we are. Um, in, in our, our bodies are given to us. You know, we have, a, we have certain uh, strengths and weaknesses. You know, that our bodies can have... Um, uh, somebody can be a great athlete, somebody else can be uh, skilled in some other area, somebody can be a great artist or something like that. So, you know, the human body has uh, all sorts of variety of gifts to it. And, you know, as we go on in life, um, life also we carry in our bodies the, the life we've lived to a, to a large extent. You know, we all carry a few scars, I'm, I'm sure I do, from various little mishaps along the way um, through to, um, to the experiences that our life has, has unfolded for us. But we're very conscious of our bodies, probably these days, probably more conscious than we need to be. But, uh, you know, judging from all the ads on television and all, all, I'm sure we've all got exercise bikes at one stage or wanted to get something or other to try and tone up the body or we're all off at gyms or, or whatever, you know, because we're very conscious of needing to firstly look after the body, but uh, also try to make it look as best as it can. As I always like to say to the barber when I go, uh, I, I say to him two things. Firstly, I said to him, um, now really I should get a discount because there's not as much to cut as before. Um, but then the barber came back very quickly, said, yes, but there's also a search fee involved. Uh, <laughs> and the other thing, the other thing I, 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 I sort of say to the barber, look, your job, make me look as good as you can. <laughs> so we're conscious of that. And we also... Um, you know, the way, the way we dress, all that sort of thing, which we seek through our body to convey the nature of ourselves. And so we're very conscious of, um, of, of things like dress because we do know that our bodies carry a certain meaning to, to ourselves. Um, they, they are a witness of, of who we are. Um, and, and we immediately know that we see somebody and there's an Im immediate impression um, given to us by the person we meet, by simply their deportment, by their clothes that they wear, uh, and, and, and so on. So we're very, very conscious of that. Um, I think what is very important is that, and there, there was uh, different times, various movements um, of philosophical or, or uh, sort of movements to, to sort of uh, downplay the body and say, look, really the body is just a shell of the spirit. That's never been a Christian view. The Christian view has always been, no, we are integral as human beings. We have dimensions to ourselves which include the body. Uh, for Christians, one of the very important things is the fact that God became man. So God didn't reject the value of the human body. And, and secondly, our, our Christian revelation about the resurrection of Christ, he rose bodily. The, the, the body didn't stay in the tomb. Christ didn't abandon his bodily nature when he rose. These are all very significant uh, from a Christian perspective that says the body has uh, essential worth and actually is who we are. So we're not spirits. We're not angels. 
We are we're actually bodily realities. So the body is important. So we, in, in, the, in the Christian creed, we speak about the resurrection of the body and life everlasting. So we take our bodies transformed, but we take our bodies into eternity. So one of the things that we, we, we say is that the body is uh, integral to who we are. Uh, and care of the body is something we do. Um, so, firstly, we have a body. That's very evident to us. We're very conscious of it. Um, then there is the mind. The mind is a wondrous thing, isn't it? You know, that we have this capacity as, as human beings to think, to analyse, to learn, to remember. You know, the mind seems to work, you know, when you've got problems. You know, do you wake up in the middle of the night and the mind is going, going 100 miles an hour, grappling with a, a question or a problem, or what are I going to do, you know? Uh, that mind just never stops, does it? <laughs> uh, and often can be seemingly going at, at enormous pace. And because we live in a world where, where there is hyper um, activity around us, um, the whole technological world in which we live, in one sense our mind is, is even further activated by, by the environment around us. So our mind is um, it's an extraordinary thing. And, and you know, the, the, the thirst for learning, for instance, you know, certainly you see, you see young children you know, getting in the books and reading, wanting to, to learn, and, and right through life. Uh, there may be some here who just love reading, you know, um, and it's, it's always something which stimulates the mind that uh, maybe it's not just for information, but it's to give insights into life. You know, you read various, you might read a biography of somebody, and that's kind of getting you thinking about that person's contribution, looking at yourself and so on. So the mind is always there as a, an extraordinarily active thing. We, we, we basically want to know. We live in a time of an information revolution, um, but we never can seem to get enough of it. Most of us now, you know, want to get material quickly. We've got to know the news. We've got to know what's going on. We've got to read um, or maybe get on our, our, um, our phones and keep a track of what's going on or find out this, find out that. So, you know, the mind is always this kind of insatiable desire for information, for knowledge, for understanding. Uh, that, and, of course, then we use our minds. You know, we've all been highly trained and we keep doing in-servicing to get ourselves more and more trained in our profession as, as we must do these days. And all of that is so that knowledge we have, information, understanding, is all, always is going to assist what we do. So our minds are so engaged in the work that we, that we do, and we're always trying to understand things better, learn things, uh, be aware of different things, so that what we do will be more effective, will be, um, uh, will be better at, uh, at our job, at our life. So we have this extraordinary environment of the mind. Now, one of the things the mind does, and we'll, 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 it could be seen as another faculty, but I'll just talk about it today in terms of the mind, is also, it's in the thinking that we make decisions. So we, we make important decisions. Will I take this job? Will I move to this new house? Will I marry this person? You know, we make very fundamental decisions 
um, and we think through. You know, we're making an important decision. We might look at the pros and cons. That might be one way of doing it. We think, now, this house, okay, it's going to cost this much money. You look at your, 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 your mortgage situation or you, you're thinking of your, you, you do all this calculation in your mind, can I make this decision or not? Is it the wise decision or, or not? And, and we make judgments. We, we make uh, ethical judgments. Should I, should I do this? Is this the right thing to do? Is this fair and honest and just? You know, so we're also exercising through our minds the process of, of key ethical decision-making. And we might see something and everybody says there's nothing wrong with it, but we'll say, no, it's not right. You shouldn't do this. It's, it's, we, 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 have a, we have an ethical sense. We have a sense of, of truth, of rightness, of goodness that guides us in decisions that we make or at other times we might put those aside and, and, and go for what is pragmatic or practical or or what we might think we can get away with you know but we're the mind is there actively engaged in um, making very important decisions at times we can find ourselves um, caught up with something when we see an injustice done to somebody we said that's that's wrong you know we we sense that um, something should be done about that particular issue. I'm sure in, in the whole social service area, that's very much what you're conscious. You're aware of people who are suffering, people who don't have uh, the opportunities to do things. So you're immediately saying, we should do something about this situation, about how can we help these people? How can we improve their quality of life? So all the time, you know, our minds are this active agent that is guiding us in decisions we make, in directions that we take in, in life. And so we also start to plan our future. So our minds not only think of the present, but also start to look forward. So we, we start to think, where should I be in five years? Or how am I going to handle this situation down the track? You know, so we, we're all the time not only thinking about the immediate, but we're also looking to future and, and future, future directions. And all of this, I don't know how it does it. The mind, the mind just never stops, does it? It keeps going, uh, often at extraordinary pace. But this is the life of the mind. We, we, we as human beings, we have this extraordinary uh, dimension to ourselves in, in our minds. Then there's another dimension, what I would call the swirling world of feelings. The swirling world of feelings, uh, like when the alarm goes off in the morning, <laughs> feelings rise to the surface, especially on a cold Hobart morning. <laughs> the bed is so warm, <laughs> uh, and we could just feel like, can I just, oh, I just like to stay in bed a little longer. You know, feelings rise up, and. and uh, and we have to deal with that feeling. The feeling is, I am nice and warm and comfortable. And today, I've got a problem to face in the office, uh, you know, a hard decision to make, or I've got a difficult client coming in, or I've got this meeting that I don't really want to go to. You know, all these kind of feelings swell, and we, we have to deal with these, um, these feelings. The feelings can take us to the heights. You know, we can have moments of great exaltation, of, of great uh, 
moments of uh, excitement of of uh, you know particularly we would say there are moments when we've we've been in love with another person and that has taken the, to the heights of human emotion and and human feeling um, and sometimes we can find the feelings come upon us as a complete surprise we're virtually doing something and suddenly a feeling comes on maybe suddenly feel envious of somebody you know where did that come from you know, I wasn't even thinking about it. Feelings can suddenly just come in on us uh, unexpectedly and, and surprise us um, by them. And they're not easy to regulate. Now, we know we have to regulate our feelings. We can't live by our feelings. Otherwise, probably none of us would be here today. Tim, they'd all be <laughs> snuggle up in bed. <laughs> uh, so so we, we know that we can't live by our feelings, but our feelings are very real and, uh, and do have a significant um, influence upon, upon us. Feelings can be quite irrational, um, and that can be very, very powerful. Uh, there's a, a saying that, that always has captured my attention in the scriptures where it says, love is as strong as death. You know, that love is such a powerful thing where people will do the most extraordinary things for love and move right out beyond rationality or, or common sense or something. Love can inspire people to extraordinary things, which are wonderful things, but uh, taking us well beyond what we would have thought reasonable, sensible, balanced, steady. You know, feelings are very, very powerful because we know only too well, and I'm sure you see it in the lives of your clients a lot, that uh, that life of feeling has actually been a life that's become very, very debilitating. They, a person can lose a sense of their worth, of their value, of, uh, or a sense that their life is, is such that they're always just going to be suffering or missing out on opportunity, where they can feel that they have no particular hope or purpose for their future, you know, you, so you're often dealing with those sorts of uh, feelings in people, and, and you, you want to say, you want to say to them, you are a person of worth, you have got a dignity, you have got a future, you have got a capacity to rise above these situations, but these feelings can just be so overwhelming that they just, they just become a crushing their spirit. One of the great things you do is try to help people come out of those feelings of negativity and darkness and, and hopelessness to a place where they can make something of their lives and move forward and move out of the areas of, of difficulty that they, that they confront. You know, the, the, the feelings have got this capacity of taking people to the very darkest of places and we know that only too well. So we have this dimension to ourselves, the, the dimension of feelings. <clears throat> then there is probably what I would say the mysterious dimension to us. So something which you now we can easily see our bodies, we can we can we can sense the activity of our minds, we can we do uh, encounter our feelings flowing through us. But there's another area which is not so much immediately sensed, but there is an area to ourselves that we know exists in some form or another, but it tends to be very mysterious and very hard for us to, to, to grasp. It's, it's that dimension of ourselves which does ask the deeper questions. It is that, that sense, that, 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 that dimension to ourselves 
where we do ponder who we are, what we're about, what is my destiny, what is my purpose, why am I here? These, these are, this dimension to ourselves is that dimension that seeks meaning, that seeks purpose. And in particular, it's something which, if you like, seeks out the, the deepest meaning to things, the deepest meaning to myself. All of us in one way or another struggle with that question or need to find some sort of answer to that, to that question because we seek, we naturally seek some sort of completeness to our life with all the um, varieties of things, all the things that happen to us, we, we, do, we do seek to understand that there is, as often people say, there must be something more. That, that this, what I experience at those other three levels isn't sufficient. There is something in the human spirit that seeks, ultimately seeks some form of the transcendence. And that's why religion has always been an aspect to human life because it's always been this human search for something beyond what we can see, feel and touch. And, and so we, we, we find, and so I'll go into my little movement into the philosophers for a few moments. I found it very interesting, a um, number of years back, um, I, I, I wrote a book um, which was on this question of, uh, I, the book was called Become Who You Are, which was kind of looking at uh, the question of what are we meant to become, how do we grow to a full, mature human person. And one of the things that when I was doing some reading about it or researching about it, I started to look back at the philosophers. I hadn't touched philosophers for about 40 years since I've been in the seminary. Uh, I went back and started reading a bit of Plato and Aristotle. What was very interesting about them, they're living in Greece, so in pre-Christian times, they were just looking at life from a purely rational perspective. They were just, they were philosophers. They were really just looking at, philosophy is actually the word about life. Logos is, is word, philos is life. So a word about life. So philosophy is looking at the meaning of life, if you like. And one of the things that both Plato and Aristotle did just purely by dint of their reasoning was to say that human beings have a soul. And this is the word they use to, to describe this dimension to the human person, the spiritual dimension to, this, uh, uh, to the human person. And one of the things they said was this soul is eternal. Uh, in a sense, it, it can't just be limited by uh, the time of, of, of human life, but it is eternal. So just purely from a, like a rational viewpoint, they said human beings have a soul, a spiritual dimension, and they said that, um, that this is eternal. One of the other things that was very interesting with Plato and Aristotle, they then said, what is, what, how would they define or understand the nature of the purpose of human existence? And, and they, were, they were saying as philosophers, it's not about achievement, it's not about um, success in life, they, they said, 
The purpose of life ultimately is the acquisition of virtue. In other words, it's what the person becomes in themselves that is most important. Not so much what you do, what you achieve, but what you become. And, and so they were very, very conscious of this idea that it's, it's actually going to be through the living of life, particularly entering more deeply into uh, the area of the, the quality of my existence that is most important about, about human life. You know, I think it's, it's really good for us just to, to think in terms of, at the end of my life, what would I like people to say about me? Um, now, people will list your uh, achievements, no doubt. But often in funerals, you see people don't just say their life is about achieving these things, but they say it was what this person became, the relationships they had, the, the impact they had on other people that was, was, was most important. I remember as a young priest, I was, um, uh, my uncle um, was quite a successful architect and uh, actually was, uh, used to go in the city to Hobart Yacht Race, he's a whole lot of yachty friends. And, um, and I went along to, uh, to a, uh, I think it might have been his 50th birthday. That's as I was a young priest and uh, I, I had my first car, which was a V-dub. Um, and so it was over at Balmoral in Sydney and I, I drove over there one, uh, one day for this, this function I'd been invited to. And when I drove into the street, they had all the, the Beamers and the Porsches and the, uh, <laughs> all, all the fancy cars. I felt like I should park around the corner, you know, in my V-dub. <laughs> so anyhow, I went to the party and, and they're all there and they're all, you know, all successful and, and moneyed and so forth. It's really interesting, just standing out there um, on the balcony, <clears throat> this guy came along. And just said to me, I envy you. And I said, what? He said, well, you know, I've, I've cheated all these things, but I think I've missed something. It was a very interesting comment. It's just out of the blue. Because I think in the end, in terms of life, it's, um, it's not what we acquire, but it's what we've become. The person we've become, the character, the virtue, the quality of the person that has developed in me. So these, these are, this very simple, but these are sort of, I think, just elements to ourselves and, and can be helpful just in reflecting on the living of my, my own human life. So I'd like to um, just propose that we um, perhaps just kind of look at ourselves a little bit and think, firstly, maybe some things that, that Christianity teaches. It's just a very simple thing that we were created, brought into being. And, and anything that's created is always created as an act of love. Um, so we're not random. We're not just um, dumped on the earth, but we, each one of us are a product ultimately of love. I always like it in the book of Genesis, which says that God created the various aspects and he always pauses for a moment and says, it's good. When he comes to create human beings, he says, it's very good. You know, that, that we are very good. And 
the book of Genesis also says we are created in the image and likeness of God. Like there's something of the nature of God in us. And that's I find that an extraordinary thought, that we can't just limit ourselves to our physical makeup, but there is something that uh, is of God in us. So we have this mystery, the mystery of the human person. And I think we've just got a few little quotes there from, uh, from the scriptures. I think in the end we are, each one, a mystery and even a mystery to ourselves, but a wonderful mystery. Um, and while at times we can beat ourselves up from our failures and shortcomings, we can also see in us so much that is good and see in ourselves uh, a striving, a desire, a longing for the more, for that which completes, for that which brings final purpose and value uh, to our existence. You might just like to simply, if you feel free, just to share <clears throat> personally about your your responses, you listen to things today, and, and um, all this is just a way which which we can indeed come closer to a sense of ourselves, of our value, of um, the dignity that is ours as human beings, because I think it's out of our own deep sense of worth and value and dignity that we then invest that in others, that when we engage with others, we say, yes, you too have worth and value and dignity because you're a human being, because you have all these wonderful dimensions to yourself, because you have all this capacity in you for good and to rise above the limits and, and difficulties of your, of your circumstances. And that then enriches the way which we engage with people and, and work with the people that we, we do in Catholic care. That was Archbishop Julian Porteous with The Dignity and Worth of the Human Person. This talk was given at the Catholic Care Retreat Day in Tasmania. And for more talks, interviews and shows, visit cradio.org.au.